Well, praise the Lord. We're in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We finished at verse 4 last time. Let us, let's uh, pick up from there in verse 5. And we'll read unto verse 20. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are approved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gathering, assembling ourselves unto thee, Remembering, praying, worshipping, loving, reflecting on thy goodness. And Lord, as we uh, continue to look into the Holy Scriptures, we thank you for that. Lord, minister thy truth to our hearts by the Spirit. And strengthen us to hold it, to keep it, and to bring forth fruit with patience. We ask, Lord, through our Lord Jesus, that... Christ might be exalted in our midst. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> we, uh, in this chapter, or in the pre- previous chapter, having finished the theology, so to speak, the, the basis by which we are the children of God, Baptized into Jesus Christ, into his death, raised, I know this is the language of a different epistle, raised to walk in newness of life, seated with him in the heavenly places, blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. The apostle then gave instruction on how to Work that out. How to live that. Uh, That our minds might align with our spirit. That a whole person might be uh, consistent and uh, living out the life of Christ. And so 
He reminds us that we had put off the old man and we have put on the new man and so therefore put away the old deeds that went with the old man. The basis for doing that is the fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact of the Holy Spirit within those who have been sealed by God. That's the basis. And brethren, this cannot be stressed enough. That the gospel is eternal life, here and now, and continuing through all eternity. That the things that the Christian does are not just another um, philosophy and way of doing things and striving in your own humanity to be a better person. But it is the outworking of the life of God, the divine nature. And that's the basis. And there's a world of difference, not only in the theory of it and the philosophy of it and the, and the, the mechanism, but in the actual quality of the life. You can't imitate Christ except that Christ dwells in you. There are a few very noble characters and noble personalities, and they're very praiseworthy as far as it goes. But they're nothing compared to Christ. And the, the, um, it, it's, it's like comparing a statue to a person. Beautiful. Very lifelike but not alive. <clears throat> and this is the thing to understand. When the apostle says, <clears throat> this ye know, you know, and uh, let know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And uh, be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He's saying, look, you know that people, the unregenerate that live in those things, are not going to heaven, to put it Crudely, not rudely, but uh, inelegantly, that's the word. They're not going to heaven. They're ungodly, degenerate, filthy. And therefore, don't live like them. He's not saying, look, you've got to do this to get to heaven. He's saying, because you've been redeemed, have nothing to do with that filthiness. You say, what's the difference? Well, it's, it's not, the difference is not that it's okay, you'll still be saved. No, that's what verse 6 is all about. Let no man deceive you with vain words. There is no way you can partake of filth and go to live with a holy God forever. Let no one deceive you with vain words. <clears throat> but it's the principle of it that's important he's saying you're children of light live like it he's not saying do all of this stuff so that you will be a christian he's saying because you're a christian do this and stay away from that be consistent with the life that's within how awful it would be if having the life of christ within you live in things that are unchristlike and neglect the things that are Bring your outward man into conformity with the inward man. 
That's what the apostles teaching. This is the principle. But let us be clear. You must be holy. Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. And that's what verse 6 is all about. Don't let anybody fool you. There's no way any of these things are okay in the life of a Christian. I, I know this is a, a dispute and I don't want to slag them. There's just no way to avoid, I suppose, mentioning. Well, I don't have to be specific. There are groups, there are Christian people, denominations or sects that have a belief that once you're saved, you're always saved. No matter what you do. And their theory, I want to assume the best, is because if it hinges on your behavior in any way, then it's a works-based salvation. But this is a deception. It sets aside so much of Scripture. Yes, we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, but I think Jude is the one who put it. I'll put you in remembrance, that you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. There is a perfect balance in God between complete safety and security and zero complacency. If, if no matter what you do, you will go to heaven, that tends to complacency. And if you can never be sure that you're saved and will go to heaven, that tends to insecurity. And the gospel of Christ is perfect, such that you can be perfectly secure and not at all complacent. It's balanced. And we see it in nature. They talk about right-wingers and left-wingers in politics. Well, God made birds with a left wing and a right wing so that they could fly into the heavens. So they can put that in their pipes and smoke it, I suppose. Without it, you're unbalanced. Imagine a right wing bird trying to fly around the place. Just snip off the left wing because, you know, lefties are all bad. Conservatives are on the right. That's us. Pat, pat, pat. And now get a bunch of right wing birds and tell me how they get on. Right? It's... Yeah, God is balanced. His truth is balanced. Uh, so let's be clear on that. Now the apostle, he's saying this you know. You know this because I've taught this to you for years. Uh, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now this follows because in verse 3 he said fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. And then he goes on, even to filthiness, foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. It seems plain to me from the context that the apostle has primarily in view the nasty, degenerate, body, low, um, base, uh, life of the Gentile world, filled with sexual immorality and all the attendant things, whether adultery or, or um, loose connections, and then perverted things, and then jokes and talking about those things. And this, even t today in our now post-Christian country, you can see it. Things that, even with the religious hypocrisy uh, that was common in 
so-called Christendom. A hundred years ago, things that are uh, just normal in, in, um, on televisions or so on to, today, from what I gather, I don't watch it, thank the Lord, um, you would never speak of those things in polite society. And that was what the heathen world was like. It's, it's, it'd be a shame to detail the filth of the heathen world. It's worse than what's going on today. Never mind your pride. I mean, I'll, I'll mention this. You know, we, we don't like our, uh, the billboards. I'm glad we live in a country you don't have those. In the city, you know. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because there's just nastiness everywhere. Live and um, billboard. But... Um, I remember reading uh, some history of the first century Rome and prostitutes used to, you know, kind of sit about outside their brothels uh, without any clothes on. That's their advertising. What a nasty world. What a nasty world. I won't go into the details of it. The, the, the perversion of their idolatry and the things that they did in the Colosseums are not fit to speak of. And they were partakers of that. And this is what the apostles getting at. Uh, now, as we were, and the, this, all of the coarse jokes and the dirty jokes that were um, uh, <clears throat> a part of it. And then, then just crudeness. But that even spills over, if you like. Or the, 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 if you want to be perfect, we even want to um, beware of excessive sporting and facetiousness and so on. It's, um, we want to put on Christ in all things. The filthiness and foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, rather giving of thanks. The context in there is not having a bit of a laugh over something silly that your child did, as if that's to be condemned, but that whole filthy world of the, the pagan Gentile um, world in those days. And he's saying you know that no whoremonger, right, a fornicator or unclean person would be all the various perverted things an individual could do, uh, including adultery, nor covetous man who is an idolater. And he said in verse 3, um, let covetousness. And it's linked to uncleanness. And you've got two things going on there. The covetous man who is an idolater. The context, it seems plain to me, and I, I've looked at the words, <laughs> how it's used in English in the New Testament. Um, Paul talks about, in, in, I think it's in Romans 7, I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, which is a specific form of lust that has to do with bodily pleasure. And so the word covet has that application, plainly. Now those that think they are Greek scholars will say, yeah, but that's a different Greek word that Paul used. And if you look at them all, I mean, that is true, but they are used somewhat interchangeably, so that's no help. Furthermore, the apostle, and let's look at it, is referencing this. He's referencing, really, the Ten Commandments. And let's look at them. In the interest of time, we... Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go to Genesis, um, Exodus 20, but let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, right? <clears throat> Verse 6, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt 
from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days shalt thou labor and do, thy, do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, neither shalt thou commit adultery, neither shalt thou steal, Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife. Neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is, in, that is thy neighbor's. Keep our fingers there. And we'll read very briefly in Exodus chapter 20, the last commandment. Exodus 20, verse 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. I don't know if you're aware, but the Jews, the Protestants, and the Catholics all divide the Ten Commandments differently. Did you know that? They all have different arrangements. Now they all have ten. And they all include the same content. But they number the commandments differently. The Jews have the first commandment as. I am the Lord thy God. Which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. That's the first commandment. And they will tell you. I suppose that the word word in the Hebrew or the word commandment in the Hebrew simply means a word. It doesn't mean an instruction. And so it's quite consistent. Um, I believe at least some of them will have a tradition whereby on the tablets, uh, although I don't think they've, th well anyway, because the tablets were written on both sides, you have five on each. And so they, they organize them this way. The first one would be, um, I am the Lord thy God. 
The second one would have to do with all the idolatry. Thou shalt have none other gods before me, nor make thee any graven image, nor bow down to them, nor serve them. That would be the second commandment. And the third commandment would be, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Um, so it's really from the third commandment to the tenth, it would be the same as the Protestants. The Protestant will have it as, um, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. That would be commandment one. Because we would understand it as commandment, and so it's got us to have some instruction. Then there's a the prohibition against idolatries. Neither make a graven image of any sort, nor bow down to them, nor serve them. And then, take not the Lord's name in vain. And the rest go on. And uh, the Catholics, they take the first commandment to include, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, nor any graven image. That's all commandment one. Commandment two is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Commandment three is the Sabbath. And what they do is they have two, nine and ten. Commandment nine is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And ten is, Thou shalt not covet anything else. And they split the last commandment, putting coveting the wife as a distinct commandment, separate from all the others. That's the Catholic version. I don't know if you knew that, but now you know. There's three organizations in the United States when they have put the Ten Commandments in courtrooms and so on. It's been the Protestant version uh, that has been done. Not the Jewish version and not the Roman Catholic version. And schools and all of that. That's what's been taught. Now, that's a bit of... Wow, didn't know that, right? (laughs) Now, it, it, it is important and it actually has some bearing on how we understand it. And, um, and we'll stay in Deuteronomy, although Exodus would be the covenant and the tablets. Now, the Jews organize it. They would assume five, um, you know, two groups of commandments. And um, <clears throat> four and six, right? Four commandments pertaining to God, the, uh, including the Sabbath, and then... Six pertaining to man, but the, um, the fifth commandment as the one that brings them together. Because you go from honoring the Lord to honoring your parents, and then the other five are joined. So that would be a, a Jewish rationale. And they would assume that there were five on each. And so, I am the Lord thy God. And the fifth would be, thou shalt not murder. And you see how if you would break the one, it would lead to the other. You're murdering the image of God. The second would be um, no false gods before me. And they, they would work them down like that. They'd have this, this parallel here. So that um, if you would look at number five, I think, it, I think that's how it's organized, where um, coveting would be dishonoring the parents. They, they work it up like there. If you take the name of the Lord your God in vain... You would be um, bearing false witness against your neighbor. And they have them parallel like that. It's interesting. Um, Of course, I'm biased. I'm a Christian. And uh, it's a bit rich to tell the Jews they don't understand their own um, book. Uh, So, um, certainly for us, 
I find three referencing God, three commandments. I'm the Lord thy God, have no other gods before me. Don't make or bow down to or serve idols. Don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And you can see three, we see the, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You see three are one. These three commandments pertain to God. Six, which is the number of man. Man was made on the sixth day. Uh, even in the Revelation, uh, you know, three sixes, the trinity of man. And we know that six is the number of man. We have six commandments that pertain to man. And the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, brings together God and man. So that would be how it would organize in my understanding. Three commandments pertaining to God, six commandments pertaining to man, and one commandment to where God and man meet together on the Sabbath day. But the thing to understand here is the beginning of the commandments are a complete prohibition against idolatry. Know and love the true God and have nothing to do with any idol. And the last commandment is actually, I mean, you'd see them in descending order, right? It's way worse to kill a man than to covet his stuff. And it's worse to kill a man than to take his wife, adultery. But, I mean, they're all bad, but you're getting down from the worst to be to kill and the least bad would be to covet. However, the covetousness is where all of the others start. That's the thing to understand. When you covet your neighbor's goods, <laughs> you will lie to him to get it. You will steal it from him. If you're coveting his wife, you will try and seduce her away from him. <laughs> to get all this stuff, you might be moved to kill him. The, the covetousness is where all of the evil deeds come from. The covetousness is a deed in the heart and it leads to all the evil deeds of the body. And it is idolatry. This is a thing. The apostle uses that word and commentators are divided on the subject. I was, uh, as I read it in our passage in Ezekiel, sorry, in Ephesians, they both begin with E. Um, and I was considering the context and the way the Apostle Paul lays it out. It seemed very plain to me that the covetousness of which the Apostle speaks is in line with the other items. The filthiness, the whoremonger, the uncleanness. That it's the coveting those things that he had in view. And if we know anything about the pagan idolatry, it was, they're unclean, they're idols or obscene objects. And it's the same today. Uh, anyway, I'll spare you that. Architecture around the world, famous uh, edifices are actually modern reworking of obscene pagan uh, idols. So I'll spare you because your minds are innocent. And I won't um, uh, go into the details of that. Better you don't know. 
the apostles, it's, I don't, if you think of the, the um, and I don't even want to mention some of these words, if they're there, you know, there's a whole, shall we say, visual industry that is filthy. It's idolatry. And what is it? It's for the eye to see, for the heart and to covet, for the mind to imagine. And I'm told that men that have been, or I've read that men that have been convicted of the most horrible crimes have testified that they became inflamed through images that are for sale and that are probably the most common thing on the internet. Their whole soul became consumed with a fire that they then acted out. Now... All of that filthiness is idolatry. That's the thing. It's the apostle is saying it's idolatry. But it is also linked to just the covetousness for stuff. And we'll look at that shortly and see how that's linked. Notice that covetousness there in Exodus, the, the Lord's the way the commandments were, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and then other things. And it's all thrown into one big bag of covetousness. In Deuteronomy, they're distinct. Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field. And the Lord has taken this repetition and distinction to show two things of covetousness. One, that it's all the same. And two, that there is a hierarchy. It's all idolatry. It's all the making of a false god. It's, the, it's a heart that instead of loving the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength, is loving, base, earthly, carnal, gratifying things. And it's idolatry. And a man can, can go to church... And, uh, and outwardly conform to the standards of the church and be an idolater in his heart. Because his heart is filled with desire for um, both the unlawful and lawful things of this life. It's idolatry. And we see it, it pertains, the apostle is dealing with the tenth commandment, but there is so much in that commandment. And so it's quite appropriate that he doesn't distinguish as to which kind of covetousness he's talking about. The context leads us first into thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or any other activity or person or being or object that would fall into that general category of physical pleasure. And then that segues into nor desiring anything whether it's um, uh, delectable food or other material goods, fast cars. You know, what's the whole thing with a fast car? It's all pride of life. Uh, let's um, keep our finger in Ephesians 5. Look at this uh, brief verse in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. Breaking in. Uh, verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Pay close attention, brethren, follow this. 
lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. So understand this passage, because it's directly linked in in the thought, in what's going on. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. What's a profane person? This is not the, the, um, the way we use the word today, profanity, which is obscene language. It's not fit to be spoken in the, in the ears of decent people, especially not women or children. You know, we think that's profanity. Profane is anything unconsecrated to God. Anything not sacred, anything not devoted to God is profane. It's not evil. It's common. It's earthly. And it's not um, sanctified by God. It's not dedicated to God. So a profane person is somebody who just loves the earth. He loves his body. He loves the things on the earth. Um, You name it. His pets. His work. His house. His stuff. He loves this life. That's what's important to him. That's what he values. That's what makes him happy or sad. It's, he's a profane person. He's not sanctified and separated unto God as Christ Jesus. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish his work. I have meat to eat that you know not of. Right? Jesus Christ is the epitome of holiness. Sanctified. He's consecrated to God. A profane person lives for earthly stuff. And that is linked to being a fornicator, an unclean person. You see? Are we getting what this is about? This, this might seem kind of hard. It is if you think of heaven and hell as based on, you know, the goody goodies who just don't hurt anybody. I try to be a good person and not hurt anybody. We've all heard that. I try, you know, I'm a good person. I don't hurt anybody. What a low standard. Do you help anybody? You think of a man standing on the edge of a, of a pool and watching four people drown and not doing anything about it. I didn't push him in. I didn't dunk him under. He would be despised. We would, what would we do with someone like that? Watch four children drown. I didn't hurt anybody. See? It's such a low standard. You're akin to a murderer if you just do that. If we think in those terms, we won't understand this. But if we think about the truth that you are made by God for fellowship with God. Go back to Adam in the garden and he heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. He had fellowship daily with God. Let us make man in our own image. After our likeness. The communion. You think about the, all of the, the word of God. All through the Old Testament. The prophets. It's been one long extended glorious expression of God's love and invitation for fellowship. Can I say something? I mean, and this is true for all the married men here. I trust. I am consecrated to my wife. Do you get that? She's not just a woman to me. There is a purpose. Forsaking all others. Keep you to her alone. That was on my wedding day. By God's grace. 
Mind you, it hasn't been difficult. I've kept that vow. My mind, my eyes, my body has been for one woman my whole life. Consecrated unto her. Now that is the Christian unto God. It's a very reasonable thing. That is every human being's purpose. Is to know their glorious lover who made them and set his love upon them. And what would you think of a man that treated his wife just like some sure bet object for his gratification. But was like the farm animals or something with anybody. You'd think what a disgusting degenerate. How terrible. How unreasonable. How worthy of rejection. And now we're getting a a, a feel for this. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. We want to be horrified at the thought of a profane person. At somebody whose mind is taken up with the stuff of this life. It's like an adulterous man. It's just just a, a worthless state to be in. See? And the apostles here writing to the Hebrews saying, Look diligently, lest there be any such among you. And he's likened to a fornicator. He wants us to have the same horror and revulsion at the idea that somebody could just have in their heart, not the evil stuff of the world, but just the stuff of the world as the thing that fills their imagination and captivates their desire. Do you see how uh, far fallen is the church in a prosperous state where these things don't fill us with horror? And so, says this you know, no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man. And that covetousness which starts linked to the uncleanness and whoremongering that he's just speaking of. And it carries right into just coveting earthly stuff. Food like Esau. And he's saying such a person is an idolater. You're not going to the idol's temple to bow down. Just a heart that is filled with desire for earthly gratification of every sort. So that man's an idolater. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things coming the, cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. I didn't spend a long time. But I did consider that phrase. Children of disobedience. Paul uses it again to the Colossians. Is this professing believers that don't live up to their profession? It would be reasonable to think that. But think of Sodom. They were sinners before the Lord. And the wickedness and the cry came up to heaven and God destroyed them. They had no profession of faith. They had no claim of covenant relationship with God. They were human beings. And they were wicked and they were destroyed. And I would submit to you that this, um, that the wrath of God comes upon people, whatever their profession, whether they claim to be religious or not, that engage in these things. Starting with the heart and manifest through the body. Therefore, because these things are so grievous to God, 
Therefore, verse 7, don't be partakers with them. Right? These things are abominable to God. Don't do them, beloved. That's what he's saying to us. He's bought you with his precious blood, sealed you with his Holy Ghost. You are a temple of the living God. Have nothing to do with these filthy things. That's the word of God. And it extends even to just the profane love of stuff. Bodily things upon the earth. Because we are a heavenly people seated with him in the heavenly places. A holy people. Prayer is not a tiresome duty. Prayer is a natural thing. It happens spontaneously all the time throughout the day. As we Just like, you know, I can go from... I can be in, you know, in my work or whatever, and my wife will come in and say something, and she's so sweet and consider, oh, sorry, you're engaged. You know, fine. But you know, we, we go from work to communicating with one another just, just like that. Don't not okay. This is the talk to my wife time. This is the work time. You know, just like, boom. okay, now done that duty. Now you don't have to do, talk to her again for the rest. That's ridiculous. Often, just passing by, and the, you know, she's in the kitchen or whatever. A word, a hug, a kiss, or what, you know. All, it's just normal part of life. Anytime you pass by, there's got to be some kind of expression of that consecration. And so prayer is the most natural thing. It interrupts our thoughts. You're driving along, going for a walk in the middle of... You just remember the Lord and worship. They're holy, consecrated, heavenly people. And because you are such, because you are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ, don't have, don't have anything. Be not partakers with them. God is going to pour his wrath on these filthy. Don't have anything to do. Don't partake with them. He, re- he reflects, you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. You used to be ungodly. Now you're a Christian. Live like it. This is the point. Children of light. Isn't this what the Lord Jesus, this is what the Lord was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. No, he taught it in the context of old covenant Jews in commandment format. You're the light of the world, right? Let your light so shine before men. You might see. Righteousness of God in light. I'm going to look at that concept uh, a little later, Lord willing, time-wise. Walk as children of light. You were darkness. Now you're light. Notice the apostle is addressing two things and they are linked. Being and doing. You were darkness. That's a state of being. Now you're light. That's a state of being. Chapters 1 to 3 are all about your being. Regenerated. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Raised with Him. Seated in the heavenly places. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. That's being. Now the doing. Right? Don't lie. You know, speak truth every man with his neighbor and so on. And here he's, they're, they're woven together. He says, don't be doing that because you are not that. He reminds him again, verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Walk in the Spirit. The whole chapter in Galatians on that. Right? 
the fruit of the Spirit. And he's taught them these things. He's preached these things to them. He's giving them short reminders on it. None of this is of the Spirit. So let's, now verse 9 is in parenthesis. So let's look at verses 7, 8, and 10, right? Be not therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So let's look at that, right? Verse, verses 5 of, and 6 have told us nobody like this is going in the kingdom of heaven. Verse, verse 5, verse 6, don't let anyone deceive you. Verse 7, therefore don't partake with them, because the wrath of God's coming on those that do these things. And you were those people, but now you're children of light, proving what's acceptable unto the Lord, right? You're not just going along. Don't be partakers with them. Proving what's acceptable. So you don't do anything mindlessly. Examine something. Test it to see if it is acceptable to God. If you're going to do it. This is the opposite of just going with the flow. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, be partaker of no man's sins. And that was in the context of the church. I know we want to trust one another and we should be able to. But we've got to always have at least one ear cocked. Lord, are we all going in the right direction? We can all hold hands with one hand, but let's hold the other hand up. (laughs) We all need to be connected with the Lord. Not just, oh, well, he's doing it, so therefore it's fine, so I'll do it. Ding, 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 ding. Prove all things. Now, this is in the context of the unbelievers and society at large. That's a primary uh, application. So we're not going to worry about the church aspect right now, but I will say this. It does extend there. If we have a caution about some activity that is common amongst brethren, we need to pay attention to that. Can't just, ah, if everyone's doing it, it's fine, right? I don't mean we need to inspect and dissect every living last thing the brethren do, but let's not, you know, just tune out. But in terms of society, prove all things. Prove what's acceptable to the Lord. Don't partake, right? So the world is, is, is degenerate. It's filthy. It, um, it's adulterous. Uh, things that were um, uh, unfit, unfit to be even put on sinful TV when I was a youth are now paraded in the streets. It's in one lifetime. The world is degenerate. So, okay, we see that's wrong. He's given us a list of things, a very short list. and That's generalization, the the fornication, right, the whoremongering, the uncleanness, and the covetousness, and so on. Prove what's acceptable to the Lord. What would we mean by that? Okay, so, uh, unfortunately, we, we live in a society where they misuse words, adult entertainment. It should be degenerate entertainment. Amen? It's not nothing adult about it. It's degenerate. Whatever your age is. <laughs> you know what my children thought an adult magazine was? 
It's a news magazine without pictures. Only an adult will want to read something without pictures, right? So daddy's reading an adult magazine. In our home meant I was reading a news magazine that had no pictures and would give me analysis, intellectual analysis on world affairs. That is an appropriate use of the word. Adult entertainment as the world uses it is degenerate entertainment. Okay, so we know that's wrong. Told us that plain. What about other things? Do you know, and I'm not having a go at anybody. I'm I'm not saying yes or no. Just think about it. In the 1950s, in conservative Christian churches, bowling was worldly. Baptist pastors, if I'm informed correctly, and maybe I'm not, but they would preach against the worldly activity of going bowling. And we would think that's probably one of the few things you can do with it. You know, How times have changed. Prove all things. right? Um, that's, that's, uh, so I'm, not, I'm not telling you whether it's right or wrong for you to go bowling. But Canada's Wonderland. We were in a church, you know, and the, one of the pastors took the, uh, the youth group to Canada's Wonderland. My youth didn't go. Because I didn't think that was right for... Christian young people to be going there. Prove all things. Don't just go with it, you know, have a very short list, well, this, this, this. You're doing everything unto Christ. Everything unto Christ. And uh, you want to know what's acceptable to the Lord. Test it as a woodworker. And, you know... (laughs) Maybe I was a bit tough as a teacher. I don't know. I mean, there was no corporal punishment. It wasn't tough that way. But uh, if you're one second late for class, you were pushing a broom after school. Detention. But um, some of the lessons, I suppose, could seem a bit... You're managing a shop. You've got uh, anywhere from a small class of 10 to a large class of 27 in a wood shop with spinning saws and blades and knives and... Or chisels, it's just, I was on code yellow all day. One, one project we had was a, what we call a Muskoka chair, what the Americans would call an Adirondack chair. You know, these lawn chairs made out of pine or cedar or something, and they, they slope back, you know, sit outside. And it didn't matter how much instruction I would get. You're talking about the pine boards and you don't want a knot in the middle of a slat because it's structurally weak and so on. And, yeah, yeah, and they pay attention about as well as they do their parents. So inevitably I'd see, you know, boys cut a bunch of slats and there's one. He's got a knot right in the middle of it. Well, the slat's only a couple inches wide and the knot's almost two inches wide. And I'm thinking that's not going to make it. I'd walk by because I'm helping 20-odd people. Uh, you don't have a lot of contact. That's three minutes a student, right, in an hour's work. So you're moving around quite a bit, you know. And walk by and i just pick up the piece and I would prove it if it was going to be acceptable. I'd hold it by one end and i give it a sharp rap on the bench. And most of the time it would snap right where the knot is and I'd put it down and I'd just say, make a new piece and walk off. You see, proving what's acceptable. Better it happened there than when you're sitting on it. Of course, mostly boys and <laughs> teacher broke your feet, you know, and they'd laugh about it. But you want to prove, is this acceptable? You need to test. We need to test. I need to test things. What we're going to do to see if it's acceptable to God. Does it snap or does it pass? 
Does it glorify Christ? Is it acceptable to God? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now we've said before, right? Reprove and rebuke are not synonyms. They are, but they're not. They're, diff- they're, they're each distinct. So to instruct is to tell, to teach the right way to do things. To admonish is to remind of instruction. To rebuke is to tell you that you failed instruction by your wrong action. To reprove is to explain why what you did was wrong. To exhort is to encourage you to take up again doing the right way. So they they all um, overlap and have a common theme, but they're distinct. To reprove the works of darkness is to not just say that's wrong, but to explain why. I was thinking one of the brethren among us, I'm very proud of him, he's not not here, wouldn't want me to mention his name, but in his workplace, his fellow workers were constantly taunting, trying to tell unclean jokes and trying to draw him into their uncleanness. He would have nothing to do with it. And he was persecuted because of it. Criticized, scorned, mocked. But he kept himself really proud of that. I remember as a, a young man, still in my teens, and uh, going on delivery in the cabinet shop I worked at. And there was a new hire. <laughs> yeah, I'll spare you the details of that job. But um, a new hire there, and he was hired to do the sanding. It was a small shop. It was about four of us working in the back, plus the boss. It would fluctuate from four workers to three, and back up to four, and then down to three again, as people would quit because they didn't like the boss. But there's this young man, and he and I, he's probably a year younger than me, and we're driving on delivery, and it was warm weather, and so you'd see young ladies um, inappropriately attired or under-attired, and I remember he said, feast your eyes, dude. That's what this young man said to me. And I said, no, I don't, you know, that, that I don't, no, that's wicked. He said, maybe to you, but not to me. Right? Now, I failed to reprove him. I, I rebuked him. I just said, that's wicked. No. But I would have done better, if I'd understood it, to explain why it was wicked. See, No, these are human beings, not objects. I want to be married to one day and not to be some willy-nilly, but have kept myself pure, as I would expect her to do from me. See, reprove to explain. This can't be argued against. I remember as a teacher, many years later, one of the young men in the class, one of the youth, you know, young men, youth, 16 to 18 years of age, boy. And I forget what he, what he said. But he, I think he asked me, you know, how do you avoid a certain sin or what do you do about these desires or whatever. I, I don't remember exactly. I just remember I said to him, well, since I've been a Christian, something like that. From my youth, I have kept myself for one woman. And there's, no, there's nobody else in my mind. I don't compare her to anybody. She said, he said, it's a young man. He probably had some kind of quasi-Christian upbringing. He said, sir, that's right. But how do you do that? You know? See, he, he saw that it was right. I gave an explanation. I didn't just say, no, don't do that. He could see, yes, keeping yourself just for one person, that is right. That makes sense. 
girl walking by said, that is so sweet. The girl treasures that. Sisters, isn't it nice? Isn't it comforting to know that your husband doesn't even think about another woman? You're everything to him. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Don't laugh at dirty jokes. And have the guts. You don't have to rail on people, abuse them verbally, but have the guts to explain why it's wrong. There there may be disputes about what the analogy of your salt is all about but one of the things when you put salt in a wound it's healing but it stings and you're there to heal it might sting and you might be on disliked because of it have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them they're watching you're being light you don't know what the outcome will be I remember uh, before I worked at the cabinet shop, working at the grocery store, probably 17 years of age. And the, the shipper and receiver, he was a grumpy fellow. He came, and he knew I was a Christian. He came, I guess he was trying to tempt me this one. He walked in, walks up to me, right, first thing in the morning. Why does blah, 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 blah. And he gives a punchline, which is unclean, and I just stared. He gave another one, da, da, da. And gave the punchline, unclean. I never laughed. Ah, no sense of humor. And he goes storming off. Now why in this place, with how many dozens of employees, did he need to come over to me first thing in the morning to try off his couple of dirty jokes and then get back to work? He didn't run around everybody. There is a battle between light and dark. I don't know what the end result for him was. I wasn't there that long. Have no fellowship. What, what would I have done if I had laughed at his joke? Whether by some carnal pleasure in it or by some uh, fear of man or, or, or even a, a, a misguided notion of not wanting to offend him. I would have harmed his soul. I didn't abuse him. He was a, much older than, than me. I, I stood respectfully. Have no fellowship. No fellowship. I would argue, brethren, don't, if you're in a workplace, you know, the group lottery tickets have nothing to do with it. It's covetous. The whole system's based on covetous. And you could fill in a thousand things. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But reprove them. Uh, for it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. This, uh, again, suggests to me that this whole time Paul is thinking about the degeneracy And we have been teasing out some secondary applications. I mean, the the scriptures speak quite freely about theft. These are things even more shameful than that. Reprove them. It's a shame to to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. That's another phrase for darkness. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. This is further indication that you're explaining righteousness. We're describing righteousness and it can now be seen. This evil can be seen for what it is. 
all things that are reproved. Right? A rebuke, I mean a righteous person can be rebuked for doing righteousness. It doesn't mean the rebuke is valid. Right? Oh, you're just a goody-goody going to church or whatever. You're being rebuked. But you're not being reproved because there is no logic. There's no truth. There's no basis for that, you see. But something that's been reproved has been explained and exposed for why it's wrong. And so this is light. Light illumines. Light enables you to see where you're going. You don't stumble. You can see things clearly for what they are. That is sin. You know, people that talk about, oh, they like to look at this and that, because I just appreciate beauty. So, well, no, you're, you're meant to, to, to uh, delight in only one beautiful person, you see. Faithful. You can explain why these things are wrong. You, you're not to degenerate or degrade uh, women by treating them as objects. You're abusing them. You explain why these things are wrong. Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, this is not a quote of a scripture. There are a few scriptures that you could try and tie this to, all of them in Isaiah. Whether it's, I think, chapter 9, the people that sat in darkness saw great light. Later on, I forget what chapter, whether the 30s or 40s. Um, Chapter 60, I think it is. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Is that right? There's another one. But none of those are what the apostle... The apostle is prophesying. He has taught these things um, as principles. And here, under the influence of the Spirit, he prophesies. In in, uh, 1 Corinthians 15... I believe it is. Uh, and verse, verse uh, 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. Awake to He's, he's giving instruction. He's under inspiration by the Holy Spirit. He's inspiring. Romans 13. And... Uh, Verse 11, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. In Hebrews, he'll quote the psalm and say, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice. This is what the Spirit's saying. Here, saying, because of all this that we've just laid out, the Spirit of God is saying to his people, arise thou that sleepest. Are you asleep? Christian, saved by grace. But you're as one asleep because your mind is bogged down with earthly care and earthly preoccupations. And the Spirit of God is saying to his church, arise. Christ shall give you light. You shall be filled with understanding your perspective on the world and what God is doing in the world. But we have to awake ourselves from our slumber. Arise from the dead, as it were. Trespasses and sins. Christ shall give thee light. Therefore, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Alright, so again, this is not merely a, a, don't do this, you know, we're goody-goodies, we're squeaky clean, and so on. There's a purpose. 
There's a kingdom that we are um, engaged in. There's a God to be known and worshipped and loved. You know, my, my wife and I, and this is the same for, for all of us here, we have, um, we have purpose, right? We're raising children. And that involves practical things, you know, in the home and school curriculum and, and looking ahead what kind of occupation they'll do. And there's purpose. So we are workers together in a purpose. But we also just forget the children. We're just taken up with one another. We are tempted not to come back from that lovely holiday our children sent us. If we didn't have children, we might have been just, you know, toss these passports. Here we are. <laughs> forget the world. It was wonderful. Just another honeymoon. Just taken up. And this is the twofold life of the Christian. Just taken up with the most. What's that hymn? Being of beings. The most wonderful being. Just taken up. If there was no kingdom to work for. If there were no people to seek their salvation. Just to know the Lord. And to be devoted and consecrated to him. Is purpose enough. But on top of that, there is a church to be built. There is a world to be preached to. There are sinners to seek that they may be saved. And we are to um, not walk as fools, but as wise, circumspectly. Thinking about getting bogged down with that, entangled with that, embroiled with that. We want to walk as wise. Redeeming the time. Some will put it, buying up the opportunity, seizing the opportunity. Oh, I, Lord help me, you know how I failed in this. But God, greedy of gain in the good way for the kingdom. Want to use the time to, for, to, to gain for God. Edifying, whether it's our own family or the brethren or friends or the lost. Greece, seizing every opportunity to gain for the kingdom. Amen. This is, do you see the, the, the flow in the apostle's thought? He's gone from, uh, look, you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, so have nothing to do with that degeneracy, because you are a child of light, live like you're a child of light, have nothing, don't, don't now be drawn into that, have nothing to do with it, rather reprove it, expose it, because whatever exposes is light, and, uh, and in fact, awake, live in the light, and now with this knowledge of the spiritual realities, just like Elisha, um, Lord, open his eyes. He might see the reality. Now you should see there's, we are at war. There is a kingdom that is going to displace and subordinate all kingdoms. Never mind the World Economic Forum and its agenda and its great reset. I'll tell you who has a great reset coming. A new heaven and a new earth. Where Christ is Lord of all and every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And we are engaged in working towards that day. We want to know him more. Be conformed to his image. Be pure and ready. You think of, oh we don't do it justice. You know all the hurly burly and the stresses of wedding plans and wedding preparations. And people fuss and um, invitation cards and my colors. And all the things that brides do today. Centuries ago and different, they, they, they would spend months preparing themselves. Themselves. They would bath in these elaborate potions of oils to get their skin to the most 
sumptuous state possible with these all these health oils you know these elaborate and long soaking baths and uh, you know I didn't read anything indecent don't worry um, but uh, just in passing I forget what I was reading about but months of preparation I think it was Egyptian women preparing themselves for their wedding day elaborate themselves their bodies just their, the time and care they took to have their bodies in the best possible state it could be in the Christian, you know, John writes, every man that hath this hope in him, right? We know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The Christian is doing a number of things. One is he is gazing upon the nature of Christ, meditating in the word of God. Uh, cleansing himself from all filthiness of flesh and spirit and being transformed into his image from glory to glory. And he's busy about seeking the kingdom of God. He is praying that the will of God will be done in the world, that the church of God will be built up, that the lost will be saved. He is educating himself in the things of the spirit of God, meditating in the word, growing in grace. And seeking to edify the brethren and win the lost. That's what the Christian is about. He has a growing awareness of this kingdom that is coming down from God out of heaven. As a bride adorned for her husband. And the apostles say, see that you walk circumspectly. You know, like a cat going through a muddy area. It's careful where it puts its paws. Going in an area, it's got its whiskers to check out, can I get through this? It's circumspectly. Redeeming the time, not squandering it, wasting it on useless things. Because the days are evil. We don't know what's coming. Therefore, be, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Not about foolishness and frivolity. Of the kingdom of God. Knowing Jesus. Making him known. <laughs> Almost as if he tacks it on. He says and be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess. But be filled with the spirit. And he tells you how. Don't be drunk. Why do people turn to wine? They want to be happy. Forget your troubles. They want to hoo hoo. You know a release. Get over the stress and the whatever. Drink to forget about your troubles, right? You say, don't do that. If you're overwhelmed with the burdens of life, if you're downcast, if you're feeling whatever it is, or if you just need a relief from all the, you know, earthly pressures or whatever, instead of turning to drink or the like, entertainments, be filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it's better and it's real and satisfying. Well, how? I mean, what do I do? Where's the charge station? You know, it's not an EV where I can just plug into a charge station, go to a gas station. He says, well, just get alone. Or not, just worship the Lord. Just pour out your heart. Sing. Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Make melody in your heart, Lord. Just commune. Not um, sometimes, you know... <laughs> 
prayer might feel hard to come, but start singing. Not just the, the passive singing where a tune's buzzing through your head, but in the heart. Singing some song of truth and love and thanksgiving. And before long, your soul has been realigned such that you are now um, in, a, in an appropriate frame of mind where the Holy Spirit easily manifests himself in and through you. Giving thanks. Isn't that wonderful? This is a Christian life, brethren. Let us walk in it, right? Don't, don't go that way of, of drunkenness. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks all the time. And then he's going to describe how that looks in domestic life. Sean's going to tell us about it next week. Um, how that, uh, what that manifests itself as in the ordinary, day-to-day humdrum of life. Let's be Christians indeed. Let's pray, shall we?